Hi, I'm Alan Henry. And I'm Matt Tamanini. And you're listening to The Pottest Couple, the podcast from your favorite Broadway odd couple, where we talk all things we love about theater and that our guests do as well. We have a very special green guest today. But before we get to that, we have a few things to talk about in honor of Wicked Day. And if you're listening to this, it's hopefully Wicked Day, unless you found us after Wicked Day, at which point, welcome to the podcast, and we're thrilled that you're here. (laughs) We have a lot to talk about today. Uh, So we've been breaking down our picks for the Wicked movie, as you know, throughout the podcast. (sighs) And as you know, the Wicked movie is something I'm very passionate about. I have a lot of very strong opinions about. And I know, despite Matt's demeanor where he thinks he's too cool for everything i know he has a no, lot of opinions here as well it's not no, don't just dis- don't disagree it's not with that me I think i'm too cool for everything it's just i i don't know it, it, it's it's i just know that whoever they cast in this movie is probably not going to be the people that probably will do the best job so it's just kind of like it's you're trying to split the difference between celebrity hollywood name and talent, and sometimes you walk a very, very fine line on these things. But we'll get to that. We'll get to that. I feel like we need a Venn diagram for all these criteria. And yeah, start. I mean, you have to. Because, because <laughs> let's be honest. I mean, and you're kind of joking about that, but I'm serious. Like, the best people to do these roles are people who have probably done the roles either in New York or on tour. Very few, if any of them, will even sniff an audition for the film. And probably the only reason they will is because... Universal and Mark Platt, who are producing the film, also produce the stage show. So I think that there's a little side chance of an opportunity for some of the stage stars to at least have an opportunity to be seen for the film. However, chances are they're going to go with people who are movie stars or pop stars or TV stars or something who probably wouldn't even get a chance to maybe even play like, I don't know, Nessa Rose on Broadway in the show. But they're probably going to get this huge big time opportunity on screen. So it's just kind of like... You're excited about the film, but you're also have to be prepared to be underwhelmed by the vocals. I mean, hang on a second, because I honestly, in in my opinion, I don't foresee a world in which anyone who's done this role on Broadway is getting an audition for the film. The most, I think the most famous Alphaba from Broadway would be Anna Gasteyer. Uh, Well, I think think Adina is probably more famous. I think you have established, I mean, I, I would love nothing more than Adina, but... I think she's. I think Adina herself has established that she's been told it's not happening. Yeah, in various interviews through various side eye comments. <laughs> um, but I think Adina aside, Anna Gasteyer would be like the most famous alphabet, and I don't think that's even. No, billable. that's less like. No, that's less likely right. than Adina. And so when I look at like alphabets and Glindas, I don't think there's a single one. If I was putting money in a movie, and I, I hate to say this, but I don't think there's a single one I would even call in for it, because I think you have to start with, like, Hollywood A-listers. Names. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, I could see maybe someone like Sekhan Singbla getting an audition, because she's kind of transitioned from a theater person to a screen person. She does a lot of TV and does some movies as well. I think she's somebody on the rise who could have an opportunity to be seen. I don't think she will. But I, could, I wouldn't be surprised if someone like Megan Hilty, if they had done this movie five, ten years ago, might have had an opportunity. But now, again, same reason with Adina, not talent-wise, but just the age of the characters is not necessarily appropriate for some of the people who have become bigger stars since they did the roles on Broadway or on tour or out in any of the sit-down productions coming up on a decade, almost getting close to 15 years ago. I mean, believe it or not, I actually had this very talk last night at the Glass House Tavern, right next to Waitress at the Brooks Atkinson Theater. Oh, Jesus. Um... Uh, no, I did. I'm not even kidding you. And we were talking, me and my friend Nate. Hi, Nate. Uh, I don't think he listens to this, actually. Um, but <laughs> but we were talking about this because we were talking about the various Wicked casts we've seen and, and the, sort of the Wicked movie. Uh, and I had said last night that, bar none, Megan Hilty was the best Glinda I have ever seen. And I've seen seven Glindas uh, very closely tied with, oh, my God, I can't think of names today. Newsies, um, oh my god. Kara Lindsay. Kara Lindsay. I'm so sorry, Kara. I love you. You don't listen to this either. No, but she's great. I love her. I just, I, I've come back from brunch and I'm, I'm sort of in a food coma. But so very closely tied with Kara Lindsay, but Megan is truly, she was out of this world. And, um, she's not getting this, the part. She's not getting the part. I mean, even on Smash, she read, she didn't read college age. And no. so, 
No. And, and that's and, not and that's not saying she's old, but you know, it's someone like like her and Laura Benanti talks about this a lot, that when she was eighteen, she played Maria in the Sound of Music just because she looked like she was in her 30s. It's just some people look older. I always have looked older than I am. Alan, I think you, uh, if, uh, I hope I don't offend you by saying I, this. I, I think you very young. I yes, do. You, I do. you look younger than you actually are. It's just how they look. And when you're on stage, that's not as big of a deal. But on screen, it is. So, all right, Alan, in our preview teaser episode, we talked about who we would like to see as Elphaba. I started that where I went somewhere completely off the board, something that I think has less than zero chance of happening. I went with Dove Cameron because I think she's an incredible belter and she's probably about age appropriate for the role. I have then added on Zendaya, who I think would also be very good in that role. Again, probably younger than they will actually cast. Um, you went with, as you've mentioned, Adina Menzel for Alpha, but did you have anybody other than Adina that you thought in a realistic world might have an opportunity? Um, I mean, I stand by what I said. I think we should just get the original Broadway cast back together and film it rent style, and I will send them my money. But yeah, Norbert, Norbert in those pants, uh, fifteen years later uh, with his hairline. We at need the time. To, we pause everything. We need to talk about Fierro pants because they have really? gotten. They, yes, when Norbert did Wicked, the Fierro pants were not cut the same way they are now. If you look at production shots then and now, and this is not content that I would ever put out there, but some some Broadway blog should probably do this. Just Fierro pants then and now. Because I feel like with every cast change, they get a little tighter. When did they make the change? Was it a Tevate change? Because I feel like I've heard them talk about this before. Because Aaron Tevate was not that long after Norbert. And I feel like they've talked about how different the pants were even then. I mean, I did not notice this. Until Kyle Dean Massey posted a throwback, because he did mm. Wicked, left, and came back. Yes. And so he did a side-by-side, and I did not notice, but the pants had definitely changed cut and shape between when he left and when he came back. So I don't know what the timeline there is, but I'm just thrilled that we have a platform to talk about this, <laughs> because... <laughs> okay, I want, all right. I want to know how these changes are are decided. In what meeting did someone say, you know what? Focus group. We we need to tighten up the Fierro pants. I've it's scandalous. It's scandalous. Well done there. Okay, so we've talked about Alphaba. Let's go over to the other witch in this wicked pairing. And let's talk about Glenda. Now, Alan, you had previously said that when I suggested Dove Cameron, you thought that she would be a good Glenda. I think she probably yes, looks have, more like Glenda. And I have, I have further supporting evidence for this. Yeah, no, no. Okay, I'm not but- saying she wouldn't be good. I think she would probably be very good. She looks more like Glenda. I just think that having heard her belt some stuff online and seen her, you know, post some videos of her singing some really impressive musical theater songs, she has the voice to belt it. And she, in the those well, Disney don't forget, Glinda, movies. Glinda is all Glinda is also a belter. Don't forget that. Yes, Glinda, but she also has to be able to sing the soprano stuff too. Well, let me tell you, because I have more supporting evidence here for Duff okay, Cameron being ahead. a Glinda. So I filmed with Laura Bilbundi on Wednesday, and we talked and one of the questions that one of our audience hairspray viewers connection on, there, yeah. Yes. One of our Facebook Live people sent in a question and asked if you were casting a legally bond revival, Laura Bilbundi, who would play Yes, 100%. And she said Dove Cameron. And first of all, I think we absolutely need to get Fox to do Legally Bond the Musical Live. But this is a whole other episode because Fox and MGM, who did the original movie, have some weird intercompany connections where one owns the other. It's like it's a weird thing. There's like a branch about it on Wikipedia. So the rights are there if someone wants to do it. And um, I think it could totally work. But anyway, besides that. So as you know, Dove Cameron was Amber in Hairspray Live, as was Laura Balbundi in the original Broadway cast. Laura Balbundi was also a Glinda. So there we go. We've come yeah. full circle. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm totally fine Glinda. with that. I've said for a long time over on Broadway Radio on, on Today on Broadway that you know people think that, oh, we've got these live musicals. There's so many things they can do. There's not. There's just not that many shows that they can do and expect to have any kind of ratings bump. You know, things like... Peter Pan Live just bombed. Well, Legally Blonde is a hot property. 
Absolutely, that's what I mean. Is that it's a huge franchise. things like Legally Blonde would I think would do very well. I think Heather's would do very well if you put it out at like this time of year around ha- Halloween. I think Heather's would do very well. Another show that I think Dove Cameron would be very good in. She's I've actually she posted some videos a while back on her Instagram. Of, yes, of singing it, and it was very good. Also, she used to be engaged to JD from the Off Broadway Company, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, she was engaged. Yes, yes, she's she was like. In- how old is she? Well, she's probably at least your age or older. Um, Dove Cameron appears to be... Well, she's 21. Yeah, she's that's, little, that's... She's already been engaged and now she's not. They announced their engagement, yes, last year in April and they broke it off six months later. That's a, that's really young to get engaged, but that's a... Anyway, I'm, I'm just... Yes. Yeah. Anyway, okay. So, so <laughs> anyway. is that your is that your official choice for for Glenda? Are you a Dove Cameron believer, or are you going somewhere else with this? Okay. Well, let me let me circle back here because I did think about this a little bit today after we talked about what we were going to do on the podcast, and this actress has actually sort of campaigned for it a little bit, and I I I see why it would work if the Alphaba skewed a little older than sort of Dove Cameron's playing age. Which I think is is a real possibility here. It's a like it's a likelihood. And just before you say this, I, I just want to say that I don't know that any of the Glendas that I picked would be able to play opposite Dove Cameron. Just because I, I think they are going to go older with the casting and probably with bigger names. So I I personally have three of like five to six years apart from each other just to kind of cover our age bases. So I think we're I'm- on the same page here. I mean, the only one that really came to mind that is like a movie name would be Amanda Seyfried. And I know she butchered oh, no. Les Mis, guys. Please don't tweet me that she sucked in Les Mis because I know. But also, she was good in Mamma Mia, which I know is Mamma Mia and good. Same sentence. Dissonance <laughs> there. Oh, we're, but we're going to come back to Mamma Mia. Just hold on. But she was good there. And I, I think, first of all, I think she'd be good at it because I highly doubt that most of the Soprano stuff will ever make it into the movie. Because no one's going to watch that. The Wicked stage show is two and a half hours. You got to get that movie down to a hundred minute to like two hours at most, right? One hundred twenty minutes. At mo- and they're reportedly adding songs, right? Stephen Schwartz is saying he's adding songs. This is my other big concern: is that they're going to cut the Wizard and I because he needs oh. an Oscar-winning song. And there was some talk about making good getting back in there, which I think is a horrible idea, Stephen. You don't listen to this either, but don't cut the wizard nine. <laughs> nobody, nobody listens. No, nobody even no one, no one, is, no one is actually listening to this. Although I do have Steven Swartz's phone number. And, you know, if maybe if I have too much to drink one night, I might text him, don't cut the wizard nine. Who knows what'll happen there? <laughs> yes. Um, if I, if they report that it's ever getting cut, I will absolutely call him because I am, I, that is a promise I'm making. If Steven Schwartz announces he's cutting the wizard nine, I'm texting him, guys. And I will set post <laughs> screenshots on Twitter. That, that is the thing I'm going to do. I'm willing All to right. risk it. Well, um, here, here, here's one one issue that I had with Amanda Seyfried, aside from the fact that she was awful as Cosette in the film of Lena. Well, she's not a soprano. Right. Well, well, my other issue was, though, I was like, man, she's just, she's too old for this. And then I realized, wait a minute, I've seen her on TV since she was 15. She's not too old for it. She's 31. She's not nearly as old as I thought. And not that she looks it, but it's just like she's been around forever. Like, I you know, think- I... I think I, she plays like twenty five. Yeah, at I mean, most. like I, I started. She was um, a supporting character on All My Children back in the day. Then she was on Veronica Mars. We'll come back to Veronica Mars as well. You know, so I feel like I've I've been aware of her for getting close now to a decade and a half. So she just seems to me older than she was. So she's not as ridiculous of a chance, you know, as a, as a choice as I thought she was at first. But I just think the the. The Les Mis experience is going to leave a sour taste in some people's mouths. Well, let me tell you, because I saw Leah Michelle at Elsie Fest, and as much as, for some reason, people don't like her, and I don't even know what that is, yes, I think it's do. kind of... You, you, it's know kind what, of, you know what that is. No, I think it's kind of like that Anne Hathaway Oscars thing. People no. just don't like her because she's good. No, I, that's no. not it. It's not it. You know that's not it. Anne Hathaway, people don't like because... She seems perfect, and yes, because she's really good. But I've never heard a single person ever say that Anne Hathaway was a diva or not a nice person to be around. I have heard dozens to more 
people say those things about and report those things about Leah Michelle. That is why people don't like Leah Michelle. I mean, I've had no personal experience with Leah Michelle, so I I only know her as I, I mean, I saw her in concert a few weeks ago, and she was she was brilliant. She did a bunch of strides, oh, and yeah. she she belted. She was incredible great. talent, incredible she, talent. Ryan Murphy called her the voice of a generation uh, <laughs> at LC Fest, um, as let, as he would. Let's settle down. Let's settle down there. I mean, she was sort of a defining musical theater voice for people who mm-hmm. went to high school seven or eight years ago. Um, Look, I'm not taking any anything away from Leah Michelle as I a think, talent. I think I think she can sing the alphabet stuff. I think she looks right. She played mm-hmm. Adina Menzel's daughter. That's like yeah. Adina Menzel adjacent. Um, <laughs> well, and, and actually, I and think, Kristen Chenoweth, I will say this, in, a, in an interview last year, Kristen Chenoweth said that she would like to see Leah Michelle and Dove Cameron play the parts in the role in the movie. Well, let me tell you, I think that Dove Cameron looks age-wise like a perfect match for Leah Michelle if we're casting a Wicked movie like right now. Yeah, and there's and she is pretty much Kristen Chenoweth's on-screen daughter in everything that Kristen Chenoweth needs a daughter for, whether it's Hairspray Live or the Descendants movies. She's played Kristen Chenoweth's daughter, so it makes sense there. But I'm going to go in another direction. You went, you you mentioned Amanda Seyfried, and she you said she was great in the Mamma Mia movie, and she's currently filming Mamma Mia: Here We Go Again. I'm going to go another direction within Mamma Mia: Here We Go Again, because that movie is going to contain two kind of timelines the current timeline where she's playing sophie and then a flashback timeline in which her mother uh who is played by meryl streep in the current timeline uh her mother donna is being played by one lily james and i think she's that she could be an option she is somebody who has can she sing she can she recorded two songs for the the disney cinderella soundtrack now she didn't sing them in the movie because it wasn't a musical but she sang um well she sang lavender's blue in the movie but that was wasn't like a big number but she sang uh, a dream is a wish your heart makes and she's pretty good i don't know again that she would ever be considered for the part on stage by talent alone obviously if she went to mark platt and david stone and said i want to do this part on stage they'd probably do it because she's a pretty big star but she sounds good for a film, and we know, you and I both know, these things are going to be super controlled. They're going to be recorded in a studio. They're going to be done a hundred million times. They're going to be audio engineered. I think she can sing it. I think she looks it. I think she's got the personality for it. And I think she's on the edge of becoming, I think she's a she's a big star right now. I think she's on the edge to potentially becoming a very big star. And I think by the time this movie starts filming and by the time this movie comes out, that might have happened by then. So I think Lily James... She's 28 now. In 2019, she'll be 29 or 30, depending on when her birthday is and when the movie comes out. But I, you know, I think she could, I think she could be a possibility there. Now we started talking about Mamma Mia, and all I can think about is Meryl <laughs> Streep for Madame Morrible. That's well, that's a good one too. That's definitely I have I have no problem with that. And I will say though, I I, I didn't see the original Mamma Mia movie. I will probably see this just to bring things full circle around here because I do love you Heather's. You have seen the Mamma Mia movie? No, I don't. No. Anyway, I'll see the sequel just because I love Jessica Keenan Wynn, who is uh, who's playing young Christine Baranski uh, in that. And again, we're talking about Heather's, and I love Heather's as much as I love Legally Blonde. So we'll just leave it at that. So what do you what do you think of Lily James, Alan? I like Lily James. I have never heard her sing, so I can't comment on 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 that obviously. Uh, just because I haven't listened to the Cinderella soundtrack. Yeah, um, but look at look it up. It's not bad. But I have two others. Do you have any other options you want to mention before I throw in a couple other names? No, because I really struggled here because if I was looking for people who can sing soprano, then I got really stuck. And if I was looking for musical attached actresses, then that was sort of my the extent of my 
popular culture knowledge. All right, here here's one that I think is probably at least been approached to to be auditioning or put on tape is Kristen Bell. She is 37 years old, but I think she reads younger. We know she's had plenty of both stage and screen musical experience, and she can sing soprano. I think she's actually probably better singing soprano than in her chest voice. Um, She did that video for Funny or Die a few years ago where she was singing Mary Poppins and sounded really good. Oh, that was great. Yeah, so I mean, I think she is, she's an option. I would be shocked if she wasn't at least approached to you know, gauge her interest at some point, because I think she would be very, very good. Again, she's a little older. She still doesn't read as old as she is. She looks young. And she was Veronica Mars, which is the Amanda Seyfried connection there. But anyway, um, but she still reads older than like a Lily James does. But I think because she's a much bigger star than Lily James, that she would be considered, especially depending on who they decide to cast for Elphaba. Another one, Alan, and, and I'm including her just because you know we've discussed her many times before offline how much I'm a big fan of hers and I want to see her do something in the musical theater space, is Beth Bears. I think she's hilarious. I think she could definitely act the role uh, of Glenda. I think she's very, very funny. And... You know, I interviewed Matt Doyle uh, a few months ago, who's her best friend, you know, currently starring off-Broadway in A Clockwork Orange. And he said, you know, it's funny that she is a sitcom star now, and that's what people know her for, because growing up as her best friend, she was always the blonde soprano. And she went to co- she went to UCLA, has a theater degree. Um, she got a voice scholarship um, afterwards. She's done theater, musical theater. Then she went on and did the CBS sitcom Two Broke Girls. And now that's over. And, you know, I'd love to see her do that. You and I have talked about her um, her Cosette audition video for I don't know if that was I'm assuming that was for a stage production before Two Broke Girls. And it's it's good. It's not the best Cosette I've ever heard, but it's it's good. It's good. I mean, I like that Kristen Bell option more than I do Beth Burrs, to be honest. But if Me it's too. Kristen Bell, you have to get someone who plays a lot older than any of the alphabas we've sort of correct talked about. And I don't, I mean, I don't know that Kristen Bell can really read quite college anymore. I think she more reads, like, late 20s mom. Yes, I agree. But, I agree. I mean, I honestly, honestly, I don't really care how old the people in this movie are. I'm willing to suspend my disbelief that in a magical land called Oz, a girl named Alphaba who's green can fly in a broomstick at the end of Act One. Here's the thing. This is one of these dramaturgical points that you and I have been making assumptions based off of the world that we live in. Who says that college starts at 18 in Oz? You know, college could start at 25 or 30 in Oz, you know, for all we know. Why can't why can't Alphaba be going back to college to take care of Nessa Rose? She's, she's, a, she's a non-traditional student. Alphaba is a non-traditional student. Guys, we need to start a letter writing campaign. No, we Kristen do not. Kristen Chenoweth and Adina Menzel are mature students at Shiz University. It's a it's a mid it's a midlife career change. <laughs> They're part of the extension program. Shiz is actually a community college for uh, people approaching their fifties. Maybe maybe it's like an MBA, and she's you know Alphabet's getting an <laughs> MBA, MBA in sorcery. In yeah, in the sorcery. M stands for well, the M stands for magic. I mean, exactly. I mean, listen, Glinda's entry essay was magic wands. Need they have a point? I, 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 I'm seeing this, you know, you don't really have to write entrance essays for undergrad. Pro- well, maybe in America you do, not in Canada anyway. Yeah. Depends on the school. Um, Depends on the school. So, I mean, I think this works. I think we've discovered something here. Yeah. We just, we just basically solved all the rap we movies so- problems. No, there are, those are unsolvable. But, all right, Alan, I think you and I agree on one thing is that, Potentially, I know you've never seen her, but I have potentially the best vocal alphaba of a generation is potentially our next guest. I think she is uh, quite possibly the best vocal I've ever heard in that role. Uh, And I would have to agree with you that thanks to the lovely people who post her audios on Tumblr. Uh, If you haven't guessed yet, this... Hmm? I said oops. Oops. (laughs) I'll admit it. Bootlegs. I'll admit it. I listen to all of them. Send them my way. Tweet them at me, and I'll listen to it. If you haven't figured it out yet, our next guest's numerous Broadway credits include The Bridges of Madison County, Finding Neverland, and Fiddler on the Roof. In addition to her cabaret-based mission to become a gay icon, and guys, she did it. She's toured the country as Alphabeth Throp in Wicked. She's currently working on a brand new album set for release next year, 
and her return to 54 Below in an all-new show, Being Green, is set for February 1st through 3rd. Welcome to the podcast, Jessica Vosk. Jessica, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. We have Wicked's Jessica Vosk, formerly dead Alphaba, now live Alphaba. I would say she has risen. She has risen. We caused some confusion on Twitter earlier when I tweeted that we were going to have a formerly dead Alphaba. So, uh, oh. or, did I, or did I write former dead Alphaba? No, Matt, you, which said was it? For, you said formerly, which made it sound like it was she was formerly dead. Which, I mean, I guess kind of makes sense because, spoiler alert, like, she doesn't melt with the water. But it was just confusing with the adjective-adverb confusion going on. So thank God we've cleared it up for the kids. We've cleared it up. She is here. She has <laughs> risen. And she is the lovely and talented Jessica Vosk. Jessica, we're so thrilled to be talking to you today. Uh, before we get into all your super interesting and fascinating professional work, uh, I wanted to talk a bit about how you got to Broadway. Because you sort of yeah. have a very untraditional path. And even before we get to that, what were, what did you listen to as a kid? Like, what were your, were you into musical theater? What were your influences, you know, growing up? And how did we get oh, from there yeah. to, to the Broadway? Let's see. Well, when I was a kid, I, I had a lot of music in my household. My parents both just loved music. Um, so the record player was going at all times. I kind of grew up with a Joni Mitchell, Crosby, Stills, Nash, old school, 70s rock and roll. Um, and then kind of found the Broadway world because my mom was a big theater fan. Saw my first Broadway show, The Secret Garden, which I'm still obsessed with, if we're being honest. And Les Mis and Phantom of the Opera. And then I started to do community theater, um, my breakout role was playing um, a trash can in Really Rosie. I just want everybody to know uh, that I feel like that's where it really started for me. I felt, you know, um, like I really carried that monologue well. And so then I was bitten by the bug. Did theater growing up, uh, loved it, did it through grade school, did it through high school, thought I would definitely go to college for musical theater. My parents were down. I went to the Hart School of Music, which is at the University of Hartford, and then a, a semester in, I kind of just thought to myself, this is not the right fit for me. I love musical theater, but I don't know if I like it in a school setting, which is no disrespect to any BFA program or any private musical theater program. I mean, every, you know, different things work for different people, right? So when I left, I decided, you know, my parents just said, well, figure out something different that you want to do, which I don't think I really wanted to do anything different than sing, but I chose to go to um, Montclair State University in New Jersey, and I took a major in communications and investor relations, and then I wound up getting a job in New York City before I even graduated college and working full-time at an investor relations firm in Midtown, and then like on a Wednesday afternoon in my nine to five job, like I had to call out so I could graduate college. It was crazy. <laughs> and the world of Wall Street is surprisingly or not surprisingly very different than musical theater. So <laughs> I didn't see any shows. I know, right? It's like, it's so surprising. Um, I saw no shows. I, I think I kind of like did that thing where if you're not doing what it is that you love, you kind of push it down and don't want to, you want to pretend that it doesn't exist. And then about two and a half years into that job, I just had that aha moment you know, I had gotten promoted a bunch of times at the job. I was doing so great. And then I had like all these panic attacks and stress and I was wondering why. And it turns out like if you don't, if you're not doing what you love, your body kind of knows that you're not doing what you love. And somehow I got laid off from that job because I, I was, I, maybe I begged to be laid off <laughs> from that job and started to just go to open mic nights, like cast party at Birdland and, you know, before the 54 Below thing even was built and tried to get my word out there and network. And out of the blue, I, I was babysitting one day as my, you know, side job and got uh, a phone call from Paul Gimignani. Oh, okay. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Just just casually, you know, Stephen Sondheim's musical director and right-hand guy, basically like one step away from God, just 
calls and asks a bunch of questions about, you know, I hear you're a good singer and are you classically trained? Do you read music? And luckily I, I was all of those things from high school and things like that. And, um, he just offered me a job doing an ABBA show called Christina at Carnegie Hall. So that's kind of, I think the universe was like, okay, maybe you should be in this business. Okay, girl. That's insane. Like that's like, that's just an insane story that doesn't, you don't think that happens in real life. Like that's a movie, Jessica. Like that's like, Oh, I was working on wall street and then I decided to, go a different direction. And then all of a sudden you get this huge thing landed in your lap. I mean, yeah. it's like, that's crazy. Not yeah, to mention I, Christina I, is a fantastic score. If you haven't heard oh, it, it is, it is one of the best scores that I've had the pleasure of singing. And, and that experience, honestly, for the, for those who have worked with Paul Giovanni will know that he, he is old school and he has okay. remained old school and he, he really pushed me blindly into the deep end of a very connected business that I had not been a part of yet. And he gave me a lot of responsibility and a featured role in the show and sort of pushed to see what it was that I could take. And, and through that experience, when I was starting out, he, he gave me a lot of breaks and a lot of jobs. And, you know, I did company at the Philharmonic with him. I did the one night, benefit concert of She Loves Me with Kelly O'Hara at, at um, the Sondheim Theater a few years ago with him. I've done a ton of, you know, recording work with him. He's, he's to this day, one of the biggest supporters and my one of my biggest mentors in the business because he just, he knows what's up. He still knows what's up. How did he, I mean, you, you really, I mean, you were going to all these open night things, but it didn't sound like you had any direct connection that you knew of with him. Like, how did he get your name? How did he get your, you know, how did he think that Jessica Vosk is someone that I want to call personally and see if she's right for this? Where did that come from? When did he become a Voskian is the question. Well, you know what? Hashtag Voskian. I guess he is a Voskian. Sorry, Paul. Um, Well, (laughs) he... I had gone to a bunch of open mic nights at Birdland and I decided to do, you know, when I was leaving my finance job, I thought I should probably just try and put a little concert together. And at the time I met Alex Gemignani, his son, and Alex heard me sing. And lo and behold, Alex talked to his dad about it. And, wow, you know, and, and to this day, I, I owe Alex a lot too, because he kind of, had it in his brain to, to tell his dad to take a chance on this chick from Jersey. I mean, I could have been the worst person ever in the room. And thank God it turned out the way that it did. I mean, I, I, even on the Wicked tour, I heard from Paul, you know, he's just, he's always been there. Like, even as he's, you know, in and out of New York doing a little bit less work than he used to, he's still like, knows what's up, knows what's going on, asks how I'm doing and how the show is going. And, He's very sweet in, in saying, like, you know, finally the world is starting to notice what I saw years wow. ago, which which to me is like, I, I don't know if I could ever really repay him for everything that he's done personally for me as far as pushing me enough to, to get to where I am right now. But, but it really did kind of happen like, like a movie, like you said. And it's one of those things where I know how lucky I am and not to take things like that for granted, you know? Absolutely. And so we're going from Carnegie Hall to Sondheim Benefit Concerts and then Broadway. Uh, let's talk about your Broadway debut. Now, that was Jason Robert Brown's British of Madison County, right? Oh, yes. Now, God, you and Jason, I think, show. are like are like our friends now. Is that like sort of what I think I've seen on yes. the on the social medias? Yes, he is. He, he and his family are, are good pals of mine at this point, another, another, another thing that you'd never think will happen in your life. Like you, you listen to things like the last five years and parade and, and like, you never actually think that you will be friends with the composer who won the Tony award. Like it's weird, right? It's like weird. But Wait, we have to pause there for one second, Jessica, because you mentioned the last yeah. five years. I've just invented this rule right now. It's a new potus couple rule. If we, if the guest mentions the last five years, they have to give us their hot take. Just one word. Who was worse, Jamie oh. or Kathy? Oh, Kathy. Sorry. What? Oh. Oh my. We're I don't have to, know. We're going to have to have you back to discuss that on a whole other episode. <laughs> I 
don't know. I'm I'm Libra. I think both of them were horrid. Like I I'll, think both of them have their merits, and both of them have such huge flaws in so many different ways. But oh, Alan, this is such a deep question. We'll have to we'll have to do a whole <laughs> a whole episode of just peop, uh, a roundtable, really. Of Alan, who was we must. Jamie or Kathy. But back to your Broadway debut with your BFF, Jason Robert Brown, whose show, uh, well, who he worked on Hal Prince's um, biography. Oh, God, yes. the name. Prince of Broadway. What's Prince of Broadway. Prince of Broadway. I can't talk today. Uh, which you just saw. How was that, Jessica? Oh, you know what? I actually really enjoyed it. I did not know what to expect. It's kind of been really nice to be back in town and seeing other people on stage versus like my terrible stage anxiety as a performer. Um, it was lovely. I thought, I, I didn't know what to expect going in. Like, is this going to be a review? Like, are we, are there going to be canes and top hats? And that is not what it was. <laughs> it was like a really lovely, classy take on Hal Prince's life. And I kind of took from it. I, I thought one of the coolest parts about this show is that if you're sitting there and you're an artist in any type of way, like if you're trying to be a writer, if you're trying to be a singer, if you're trying to be an author of like a playwright, a stage manager, anybody that Hal had so many successes, but he also had so many, I guess what we would call failures, but never really looked at them that way, kind of used them as a tool to, to get to the next success. It was very inspiring that way. It wasn't all like, Oh, you know, and then this show made a million dollars. It was like, well, I've had these 16 shows that sucked, (laughs) but even though they didn't make any money, they were, some of the most artistic things that I've ever worked on. So it sort of like makes you sit and think maybe all of the work that we do and we work our asses off is all for something, even though it feels, it doesn't feel as positive as we think it might in the moment. It was very cool to see. And that cast is so damn talented. Absolutely. And I think one of those interesting takeaways were, as you said, especially with the Prince of Broadway, that really the shows that lost money, I think, you know, walking out of that room, I don't think anyone could say that those were flops. I think, you know, exactly. The economics of Broadway is so complicated. Uh, You know, even going back to, we were just talking about the bridges of Madison County, another show that taken from us far too soon. And really, I think, you know, one of Jason's absolutely, it's one of his best scores and if not the best score. Yeah. It was the coolest show to work on as a Broadway debut because it was something I didn't go into a show that was being revived. So it's not like there was anything to go off of and watching the creation of this thing, which, which was so much bigger than all of us. um, Especially that score. It was really, it was very sweeping like an opera would be. I mean, the themes of the score are throughout the whole show, which is so great. Like a fugue kind of thing that happens throughout the entire show. And, and it truly is just magical music to sing. Some of my favorite to this day. And of course, you got to work with the brilliant and charming Kelly O'Hara. Yes, I did. I love her to pieces. She's a wonderful person who I got a lot of advice from, especially when I was going out to lead Wicked um, on tour. You know, having never led a show before, I sort of sort of got her ear a little bit and said, what do you, you know, how do you lead a show? And she, you know, she's a wonderful leader. She had lovely advice. She, you know, she's kind and generous and, and talented. And she actually enjoys teaching people who are coming up in the Broadway world rather than kind of, I don't know, hazing them, I guess you could say. <laughs> um I mean, because there, you know, that happens in the Broadway world. So it's nice to watch someone of her caliber always be so gracious. So you have just come off the the Wicked tour, and like you said, you you did lead that company. What goes into doing that? I mean, because I think a lot of people think of, well, oh, you're you're the you're the protagonist in the show, so you've got all those responsibilities. But I don't think people realize that being the lead of the show, being the leading lady or leading man, whatever the case may be, brings on extra responsibilities besides what happens on stage. So what is, what is that like? What is, what is that extra pressure? Is it extra things you have to do? What goes into leading a company, especially one that's on the road. So it's a much different experience than everyone going to their individual homes at night. Yeah. It's really interesting because doing shows in New York, doing Broadway show in New York is 
what I am used to, which is like you go to your job and then you go home. So it's, you have your space. And on tour, whether we're there for two weeks or we could be there for seven or eight weeks, you are going to your hotel or your Airbnb every night and you're touring with the same group of people. So you all do have a very familiar room because you're with each other all the time. Hmm. Um, and, and, and leading a company is there's a lot to it <laughs> that you don't realize even when you're doing um, a featured role or an ensemble role on Broadway, you know, you don't realize like uh, in Fiddler when I was, when I was doing for Masara and Fiddler and Danny Burstein was our leader, he led the show impeccably. And you could see that because there were really never any huge dramas happening. And it's because it comes from the top down. So your mood, like if I, if I were to go in to the theater every day as Elphaba and I were just in a terrible mood, I guarantee you the show would be a bad show. And not just, not because I was, rude or mean just because there was like a, a a dark cloud and it really does start with you. So it is mm-hmm. it's a lot of responsibility. It's a large company. The show in itself is a very, is a very difficult show to do. It's very physical. There's a lot of crazy singing, but I will say I kept, I always kept my door open. I wanted everybody to feel like, like it, it was just, an open place to come in, visit, chat, tell a joke. Like it's not that serious was kind of my take on the whole thing. Um, What is the hardest part about playing Alphaba? If you had to just like the one part of being Alphaba that was by far the most challenging. uh, That you never leave the stage. And when you do leave the stage, you're walking to the other side of the stage. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's, uh, it is really demanding. And, you know, you un- I understand now when people say, you know, you really need to get yourself in shape for the show. Um, in addition to just always being on stage, you are singing, I don't know, 11,000 songs. And you are also in pretty heavy costumes. So it's kind of a stamina thing. And you, <clears throat> I think it took me about two weeks to get acclimated to the show. I mean, I was, I would take electrolyte supplements. I would take B12 shots. I mean, all the things that keep that energy going in a very healthy way. It's a really hard show. <laughs> um, and you could see like as an audience member, you could be like, okay, that show, that's tough. But when you actually play Elphaba, you really realize this is how much water I'm drinking. And I only have one chance to go to the bathroom. I better take it. Or I really needed brothers. <laughs> Castile at this point. Like, it's really crazy. It really <laughs> is. And that's why it's like, we, we call it the green girl sisterhood because until you actually do it, until you are aware of what goes into the, the Elphaba kind of experience, you, 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 I, whenever anybody's like, how is it to play it? I'm like, I can't even explain it. I really can't until you actually do it. And adding, adding, a tour on top of that is, is always difficult because you're traveling at the same time. So you've got different climates, different states, different, you know, theaters, different mold counts in the theaters. It's like, it's kind of crazy, but I will say it's one of the best tours I think to be on. It's kind of, it's pretty impeccably run. Yeah, and, and I will say Alan, just moved to New York from Toronto recently. I live in Orlando, Florida. So I was fortunate enough to see you in the role, what, about three, four months into your yeah. turn as Alphaba down here at the Dr. Phillips Center. And and I, I wrote the review, and I won't read the whole thing because it was gushing to an embarrassing level. But <laughs> it 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 was it was breathtaking i mean and i have, and i'm not saying that just because you're here i will put a link in the show notes so people can look at the review i wrote back on january 16th because i've seen wicked a number of times and i know we're, i don't want to compare it to other stuff but your performance just kind of hit me in a different way than it ever had before in any of the previous incarnations that i've seen it and and i wonder in a show that is so familiar to theater fans, that's been running not only just on Broadway, but in tours in, and in London and around the world for 13, 14 years. How do yeah. you put your 
your stamp on it. How do you make this character that is so well known and beloved something different when you perform it as opposed to when the next alphabet who puts something, you know, unique to themselves into the role? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I, I think that there is something clearly very sticky about Wicked because it's been such a fan favorite for so long. And it, and I think it will continue to be because it's so relevant no matter what year it is. Um, I think I, I sort of wanted to take on some responsibility when it comes to what people must feel like, um, who, who really are pegged as different. I think I can only really understand so much of what it was like to be a kid growing up in, and in, in grade school and being bullied, just, you know, like the next kid. But if you layer onto it, all of the other things that happen these days that are very relevant, especially the past, you know, couple of years to five years, uh, you know, with LGBTQ uh, youth and with, you know, shootings that are happening around the country and with the, the cyber bullying that's happening and with kids who, you know, might have social anxiety or learning disabilities or kids who don't feel like they could be really heard. I sort of felt this responsibility when I took the role on to try and advocate for for as many of those groups as I could, for, for people who felt like they, they didn't have a voice to actually put it out there. And I think that at least I tried to make it come through on stage in a very, um, in a very real way because, you know, everybody can say, yes, I've seen Wicked, Elsa is the Green Witch. She's, you know, it's a, it's a fantasy show and all of that jazz. But at the end of the day, there's got to be something real that Elsa connects to. And with a group of people on stage, you're being ridiculed the entire time. And I think that that it, it can really connect her to audience members alike who understand what that feels like. So I kind of hoped that in places, especially like Orlando, where we did a great benefit for the victims of the Pulse shooting, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people, we, those were some of our best audiences in Orlando. I mean, we had... We, we had some of the largest amounts of love come from from those audiences in Florida, especially Orlando, who had gone through a tragedy. And, you know, if, if, if I look at Wicked in a deeper sense, which I, which I did in order to make the role work for me, it was to take moments of tragedy like that and try and turn them into um, something that we can take power over in a positive way, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. And I think because I was in the crowd from Orlando, I think that that definitely was on a lot of people's minds because, yes, Wicked in and of itself often makes people emotional and tear up. But I did feel like there was something palpably different with the crowd yeah. here in Central Florida than maybe in other times that I've seen it. it and what interested me and another thing that I think has given this show staying power and relevance probably now even more so than it ever did in the past is the relationship at the center of the show between Alphaba and Glenda. And you've had, uh, you had a couple different Glendas throughout the run, but you know, it, like you said, there's something different about today's day and age where the female strong relationships are, are looked at differently than they probably were when, you know, Winnie Holtzman and, and Stephen Schwartz wrote the show. So what is that connection like between the two witches just on stage, but then also, with the actresses playing it, how important is that relationship to what actually the audience ends up seeing? Oh, I think it's super important. I can't really put like a value on the girl power thing because it's so strong in this show, even though it starts with, you know, these two girls who are seemingly going to be enemies for the rest of their lives. Um, the, the turn of events that happens for them and the special bond that they have just through the understanding of of each other and the way they see the world is huge. And when I, I mean, I have the pleasure of working with two Glindas in my year on tour. I had six, about six months with each, um, Amanda Jane Cooper and Jenna Claire Mason. And they're both so fantastic to work with. And what you see on stage has to be fueled by something. You know, I don't think, I think that you have to get to know someone and that you have to 
try and see the world from their point of view because we are all such different people. And that way we can connect with them further on stage. I mean, we're actors. We can, you know, act the crap out of something, I'm sure. But mm-hmm. as far as as far as this show is concerned, I think that there's something very special about having a bond off stage with your co-star just as much as it is having it on stage. It, it just, it fuels the emotion and and the audience, know, I mean, audience members aren't stupid. We, I think the audience is the most important part. So it's not, you can't pull the wool over an audience member's eyes. They either, you know, you have a connection or you don't. And usually you hope, you know, that, that the connection will be the case. Absolutely. And I think, you know, everyone listening will agree that um, your alphabet is probably one of the most definitive, if not of, you know, of recent years, the most And I think we can attest to that just based on the number of people who clearly have been really moved by your performance. And of course, I'm talking about the Voskians, uh, who I feel like we have to address uh, for a number of reasons. One, they funded your album Kickstarter, which we'll get to in a minute, in 72 hours. I don't understand how that happened, but I am like the most thankful little unicorn about it. In fact, Matt's mom is a Voskian, if I'm not mistaken, right, Matt? Oh, yeah. She as soon as they announced that Wicked was coming here to Orlando, she said, I don't care who else wants to go. You're taking me. And then when we saw we saw this performance and she is now a diehard fan, Jessica, she mentions you regularly. And we're actually I'm coming up to New York next month for a uh, um, for some some work things. And she's coming with me. She's never been to a to a Broadway show. So she's coming with me. But I don't know that anything will ever live up to seeing you in, in Wicked. Um, I actually, as we're talking about the uh, the Kickstarter, I was a contributor to the Kickstarter in her name uh, because she is a oh. huge, huge fan. Oh my and, and my mom would be very angry with me if I didn't mention that. So there you go, mom. Well, then you must give your mother a very special like shout out from me and including a hug and like a kiss. So, Will do. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I I, owe a lot to the people who have been huge supporters. You know, I, I really do. I, I, ho- I, I hope that they get from me the, the vibe that I don't take any of their support or love or any of that for granted. I know just how lucky I am that they have followed and, and steadfastly stayed followers and and this album is just something that I've wanted to do for such a long time. And the fact that everyone came together to make it happen is something that is so over the top special for me that I, I want to deliver, you know, something that is just as over the top. Absolutely. Now, of course, we have to talk about the album. Uh, and of course, we're thanking the Voskins for making that possible. On last week's episode, your life husband and co-collaborator Robbie Roselle actually revealed two oh. of the tracks that are going to be on the album. Of course, if you want to know what those are, you're going to have to go listen to his episode because there's That's so right. many great things in there. Uh, but Jessica, how's the album coming? Where are we in the process? Uh, when can fans expect it? Can you give us any inside information? Let's see. We are panning out the song list right now. We are meeting with the band and musical director. Um, who is going to be Miss Georgia Stitt, who is oh, a pretty okay. incredible human. Sheesh. Um, she's amazing um, and just an amazing collaborator. We love her to pieces. So we're finding a spot to record it. It will come out. My, my guess is it will be slated to come out in February of 2018. And somebody who I'm very close to, who we would consider a television and film and Broadway star is going to do my only duet with me on the album. Oh. And he, it's a, it's a, it's a lovely gentleman, but we, I can't wait to tell you who he is. I'm, I'm sure in the next couple of weeks I'll be able to do that, but he is, um, I think he'll be a huge draw for the album too. And I was very humbled and grateful when he asked to collaborate um, oh, because wow. I'm putting one duet on the album and he's, uh, I've, I, I enjoyed working with him when I did and he's amazing. Well, you heard it here first. And of course, speaking about the album, you have also coming up shows at 54 Below, 
Let's talk about those. Let's talk about those. When are those, Jessica? My shows are February 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. I believe that the 2nd and 3rd are sold out. I don't know. Again, I don't know how these things happen. <laughs> I don't think I'm that interesting. But well, I, I think I have tickets to the Thursday, um, but it was yes. sold out. It was sold out. Oh, well, you know what? We're doing well, kids. I don't know. I, <laughs> I got to make these shows real good. Let me tell you what. Um, no pressure. I'm really excited. Yeah, no pressure. I'll just throw up in the back. It's okay. Um, I, I'm really excited. I haven't, you know, done my own solo shows since I did Joe's Pub when it was, you know, my quest to become a gay icon. And mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. I mean, mission accomplished. I still have my sash that says gay icon. I refuse to throw it away. Um, so, so this one will be actually really cool and an amazing story to tell because it'll, really bring in the concept of what touring was like and the show's called being green and there will be a, a few super awesome guests um coming can we get to any hints have a different, um well i think mm. Ooh, that's nice um oh. and yeah my goal is to have a different guest every night you know the story will sort of be the same. The hope is to have the album out around the same time so that people can, you know, take one with them when they, when they leave the 54 below. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm collaborating with Robbie Rosell again, who, you know, thankfully shares the same twisted humor as I do. So it's always a pleasure to work with him. This will be our third show that we're collaborating on together written, you know, by the two of us. So I'm really excited. It's, it's actually, it's lovely to be back. I wasn't sure how it would be coming back home off tour because it's such a culture shock, but it's really, really nice to be back. Well, and, and, and I, I'm interested about that when you pick up your life more or less and, and go on the road and put everything in New York on hold for a year, what is the change when you come back? Do you have to just from a personal standpoint, forget the business side of things, what do you have to readjust to when you're actually in your own space and, and not kind of moving around from city to city every three, four, five, six weeks or whatever? Yeah, it's sort of strange because when you're on tour, at least for me, I developed a routine because I was doing the same show every single night. And I had a very certain way that I prepped, you know, to do Alphaba. So then when you get home and you're not doing that, it's like, I find that I just like, I clearly need to get back into a routine because I'm just like waking up at different times all the time, which is like probably <laughs> not good um, until I'm retired someday and I can wake up at, you know, 12 o'clock and then, you know, maybe one day I wake up at 8 o'clock. It's just, it's all bizarre because I don't have a show to do. So it's that part is really weird. You have to sort of recalibrate and you know, you walk into Midtown Manhattan and like nothing actually is the same. There's like 72 new restaurants. <laughs> it's all so different, yet it's all the same. I mean, I, I've i seen so many friends who are like, oh yeah, nothing's changed. And, and of course we have the social media, you know, to keep us alive and present while we're out on the road for a year. But we do come back. I left my touring family. So it's not like I can see them every day. It's all kind of a process of like letting go. I guess. And at the same time, I know I did Elphaba for 13 months, but like now I don't feel like I did it at all. Hmm. Interesting. It's so weird. Yeah. It's so weird. It's like, is there like an okay. Alphaba withdrawal? Like, do you wake up one morning and just, you're going to get ready to get green, but then you realize you don't have a show. Yeah. Like what's weird is you start to lose all the green from your hairline and from like the inside of your ears. <laughs> Everything's like got a tint of green when you get off the road. But then of course you shower enough and it all goes away. And then you're like, oh, okay, so I'm normal now. And then on days like today, the outfit I put together was black pants, a green shirt, a black hat, and the Empire State Building was green. So what is it? What am I trying to be told here? I can't escape. Oh, that's awesome. Although I love it. Like, I love, I love Elphaba. I'm telling you, there's something so special about this character. Um, well, well, you'll just have to come back to her at some point because I didn't get to see it in person. But thank you to Tumblr. Uh, <laughs> in person. <laughs> well, 
but um, I, I, I hope that at some point I get to see it somewhere, wherever, wherever you're doing it, I will show up. So, um, in my living room, Carolyn D and I are going to do it in my living room with Leslie Margarita as Nessa. Oh. Can I yes. play Bach? So, I think I tweeted you about that. Oh yeah, come on over. But, but you didn't reply. But that, I just figured that that was a no. But yeah, come on over. We'll hold audition. Sixteen bars. <laughs> I can do. Um, I, I, I'm off book. Just so you know, that's I don't. Great. That's even better. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So yeah, we're gonna put Leslie in a in a wheelchair with a glass of wine. <laughs> that's probably that's probably not a bad idea to uh to do that anytime leslie uh downs a, uh, some some wine um yeah. all right so let's let's wrap this up here and kind of hit some of the big things and and we don't like the cliche oh it hasn't been written yet i like i want to do new shows obviously new shows new roles are great but besides that do you have a dream role that you haven't done before, or maybe something you've just done in a concert that you'd like to do a full production of. Oh yeah. Funny girl. Hands oh down. yeah. That, yeah, that's, we should have known that. Okay. Besides that one, anything else? Let's see. Um, Matt's getting greedy. I am greedy. Well, I, yeah, but, I feel no, like you know she's what? been, she's been very public about the fanny thing before. So I feel like I you know want to get something have, that digs a little deeper. Guys, can we get this trending Vosk funny girl? Hashtag Vosk funny girl. Tweet it right now. Pause, tweet it, come back. That's right. And where are you? Um, let's see. What is in my brain? You know, I have not gotten to do classical singing in a really long time. And I was trained that way. I think a lot of people assume that I'm just like a belter. So it's, it's very funny since it is slated to come out. But My Fair Lady has always been a dream. Eliza Doolittle has always been a dream. And something that is such a beautiful thing. As well as, I'm not kidding you, I have always wanted to be Eponine. Okay? Mm, I like that. I have never been given the chance. I've always wanted to be Eponine or Fontaine. I guess I'm like really close to the Fontaine age right now and I'd be willing to cut my hair off. But, you know, whatever. I'm method. <laughs> well, Les Mis is um, never more than a couple years away from a revival. So, who knows? That's absolutely right. Slash, oh God, what else would I possibly do? You know, I, I swear to God I would do... The Sound of Music, Maria, in a heartbeat. Really? Ooh. Yes. Like that. I I think you're right. Like I don't think people would associate you with with that kind of of role. It's very non alphaba ish. It's non frumacera ish. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's that would be a surprise to people, and I think a, a welcome one if people ever actually got to see that. Yeah, I think it's really. I think it's really kind of amazing. The last two roles that I played, frumacera and alphaba, lend themselves amazingly to. Um, anybody who wants to do drag, I mean, I kind of, I kind of feel like I've cornered the market on people who would love to do for Mascara and Elsa in drag, and I, and I love that, by the way. Gay icon. Gay. I mean, you you must be, but you know, maybe I should put like something in my show that's soprano y. Yeah. Where people would be like, Ooh, oh, absolutely. I like you know, that. Who knew? Like Speaking of classics, Jessica Vosk, I have to say, while we're on the subject. The recording you did of West Side Story, of course, with your Fiddler co-star, Alexandra Silber, is my definitive and go-to recording. If I'm listening to West Side Story, that is what I'm listening oh. to. And oh. it, is it is just brilliant. Thank you so much. We had one of the best times of our lives doing that concert. And I, I don't think that we really knew how large that recording was going to be. And to this day, I sort of pinch myself, like, did that really... Oh my God, I was just going to say, did that, that really, really just happen? <laughs> no, Jessica. Oh my God, it's happening. I'm becoming Alphaba. But you kind of do pinch yourself. Like Michael Tilton Thomas, who's just the premier conductor to work with. And I got to go to San Francisco and do it. You just like, it doesn't get any better than that. And it, it really has shaped me as a performer as well. And as a musician, I mean, that mm. music is second to none. Absolutely. Jessica, also, while we're talking about just bouncing around on different topics, here's one I've been asking sort of all the guests, just because I think people want it. People need to know, Jessica Vosk, what is your favorite Disney movie of the musicals? Ooh, The Little Mermaid. Oh, yes, that is a good one. I have always wanted to be The Little Mermaid. I mean, like, props to Sierra. I love her. However, <laughs> slap a pair of fins on me and I'm down. 
I tried to be the little mermaid um, when I was a kid in the pool that did not work, but it, 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 it still continues to be a movie that I just, that, that movie is what made me want to be like a Disney princess voice. Can you wear Heelys? Are you okay on roller skates? Oh, absolutely. I love roller. I, in fact, I have a pair of roller blades in my closet as, as we speak. All right. <laughs> I think that's done. Disney, Tommy Schumacher. Let's do it. That's it. I'm in. Where do I, where do I send my money? Just tell me, tell me where to send it. I don't know. We'll do a Kickstarter. <laughs> we'll do it. And it'll be funded in 72 hours. Yes. There you go. Come, come, come through Voskins. We're going to, we're going to revive everything with Jessica Vosk. All, all of these. Oh my all Vosk oh. all the time. All right. Uh, we'll, we'll let you go here. I do want to point out that this is come, this, this episode is going to be released around, around Halloween in just two weeks after this episode comes out. You are going to be at 54 below as a guest of, of Laura Michelle Kelly. Yeah. We, my, my mother and I, that's the day we get to New York. We have tickets. We're going to come to that show straight after seeing oh. Hello Dolly. Um, we're going to oh, run over fantastic. after the show. So. What what is that all about? She's another fiddler alum, different production. Um, but what do you guys have cooked up? Not necessarily you have to tell us what songs, but where did that whole uh, arrangement well, for you to be a part of it come from? Well, she did, oh, for, you know we did from Finding, Finding Neverland, Neverland together, right. and uh, you know she has been on tour with King and I, um, of course, that Bart Shear directed, and and we have always kept in touch because we were sort of like tour sisters on the road, just in different tours. So it was sort of like, how's your hotel? Oh, mine's good. How's yours? Um, and then she, she just texted me recently and said, Hey, will you come be a guest? And I said, yes, of course. And then she, I, I certainly can't tell you what the song is, but right. she got back to me with this amazing arrangement of a, an old school classic that is going to be so cool. Um, and I'm just, I was so honored to be asked. I just love her. She is so sweet and kind and she's such a phenomenal talent. And I think it's going to be so fun, especially if you and your mom are going to be there. Oh, we'll be there. We're going to be sprinting over from the Schubert Theater to make sure that we get there on time. So let, oh, let, fabulous. Jen, yeah, let Jen Tepper know it's okay to start a little late. Okay. Oh, and now problem. I, I have the perfect seg to wrap up here. Jessica Vosk, speaking of Hello, Dolly, I have a hard hitting question here. There was a point in time where the only two people followed by the Hello Dolly Broadway Twitter account were you and Jennifer Tepper. And really? I think the and I think the whole world wants yes, yeah, it was a thing and I remember tweeting yes. about this. And yes. I think just lost the whole world wants to know do you have any idea how that happened? I actually don't have any idea how that happened, but I prayed a bit midler every night, so maybe that's why. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. We find it's it's on the record now. We finally know Jessica Vosk is not the next Dolly after Bernadette. No, but I swear to God, I would, I would just, I would walk around holding her dress if she let me. That's how obsessed I am with Bette Midler. Thank you so much for joining us today, Jessica. And uh, we can't wait to have you back on The Pottest Couple to talk all things the last five years. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Jessica. Thanks for tuning in to The Pottest Couple. You can find me on Facebook at Alan Henry NYC, on Twitter at Alan Henry, on Instagram at Alan Henry, <laughs> and on Snapchat at Alan Henry TO. Matt? I have. Twitter and Instagram. They're both at BWWMATT. And you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Pottis Couple and online at www.pottiscouple.com where you can subscribe to never miss an episode as soon as they come out. Thanks for listening and tune in next time. <laughs>